All right, well, we are starting a new series today titled Shift. And the heart behind this is something that I believe that God wants for all of us, and that is for us to shift the way we think, to shift our paradigm, the way we see the world. Every one of us, we have a paradigm, a lens through which we see the world. Some of us, we see the glass as half empty. Others of us see the world, the glass as half full, right? Those are paradigms. Some people always see it half empty. Some people always see it half full. Some people see the world as, as a playground. Other people see it as a harsh and difficult place to survive. Each one of us has a paradigm that we see the world through. And Jesus, when you go to his word, he spoke through, uh, he spoke into our paradigms regularly. He encouraged us to consistently change the way we think, to shift our worldview to being a God- centered worldview. In fact, if you want your life to be transformed, which is why I believe many of you are in this room, you know that's the first step, changing the way that you think. In the book of Romans, um, it was written by the Apostle Paul. He had a massive paradigm shift. He was actually, when we meet him in, in, in Scripture, he was watching Jesus be crucified on the cross and then he went on a rampage. He saw Jesus as enemy number one. So he goes on from there to imprison and murder Christians. That is what he's doing with his life. When Jesus shows up in his life, he has an encounter with Jesus. And it radically shifts the way he sees the world. Now, if you want to read the details of the story, that's extra credit homework for you. If you want extra credit points when you get to heaven someday, I want you to go read Acts chapter 9. Okay, read Acts chapter 9 this week. Read the story of Paul. But in this story, he has a radical shift in his worldview, and he goes on to become one of the most prolific church planters and writing a majority of the New Testament. And he writes to you and I. He says in Romans 12, 2, he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of the, of the world, but let God transform you, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. What is Paul revealing here? He's saying something very simple that all of us know, but we don't think about very much. Our beliefs drive our behaviors. Our beliefs drive our behaviors. If I believe that eating Taco Bell will help me lose weight and gain muscle, and that working out is overrated, most probably... I will sit at home on my couch eating Taco Bell with Twinkie Chasers and be 500 pounds. Because that's what I believe. It dictates my behavior. If I believe that hard work pays off, I'm more apt, I will probably work hard. Because I believe it will pay off someday. If I believe that God is real and that he has a will for my life and his ways are better than mine, I will probably follow his ways with my behavior the way I live more than I will my own. This is so powerful. Transforming into a new person, a better person, the person that God designed you to be when he created you starts where? Changing the way you think. It starts by changing your paradigm, paradigm your worldview. What Paul is saying is if you will allow God, if you will give God access to change the way you think, change the way you see the world, you will, you will see your life aligned with God's will. You will see your life aligned with God's dreams for your life. You will see your life Live out the purposes that God created you for. And so we're centering this series around the book of Ephesians. It's six chapters. Paul wrote it. The first three um, are focused, prim focused primarily on belief. The second three 
are primarily on behavior. Paul is just going, hey, look, I'm going to give you belief in the first three chapters. I'm going to give you behavior in the second three because that's how you transform your life. And Paul's writing to help shift our paradigms. Today we're talking about unity. Before we get into the depth of it, I want to pray for us. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for bringing every single one of us into this room. We're not here by accident. We weren't dragged here. You actually pulled us here because you have a message for each one of us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, so that we might hear your voice, maybe for the first time in our life, speak directly to our soul. God, I give you the next half hour or so, the next 40 minutes, to speak to each one of us, and I just ask that you would show up and show up powerfully in your holy name. Amen. Now, um, just you know, a little bit about me. One of the things that's really impressing me about our country um, right now, especially our politics in today's day and age, is how unified everybody is right now. Have you noticed that? Like as you've been reading? Uh, it's like every day I read the news and, and I'll just tell you, I read, I read USA Today and I read Fox News almost every day because I want to get both sides, see where everybody's coming from. And I am just, I am almost getting sick of reading how much everyone's getting along and how much everybody loves each other and how much everybody's all about everything that's happening in the country. Um, and I know some of you are going, what are you smoking? You know, you know I'm joking because you know the exact opposite is true. I believe over the last 10, 12 years of my life, I don't think I've ever seen it as divisive as it has gotten to right now. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. But I think one of them in general is that everyone is opinionated about everything. And now we all have platforms to commun communicate our opinions out to vast, wide arrays of audiences with all kinds of other different beliefs without any repercussions of actually having to talk to them face to face. Have you thought about this? It's a lot, it's a lot easier to send an opinion out via social media to a bunch of people that are faceless than it is to tell somebody face to face what you really believe when you know they disagree with you. And so we've got this medium that allows all of us to just share our opinions at will. We're more divisive than ever. There's arguments happening 24-7, 365. Open up Facebook, open up social media. There's arguments on there about how to raise kids. And it's not about, well, I think it should be this way. It's like, no, you're wrong, stupid, and you're an idiot. This is how you got to do it. There's arguments about what you should eat, what you shouldn't eat. Do you crinkle or fold your toilet paper? Like there's two arguments, two camps there. Um, is it, it's important stuff. Is PS4 or Xbox One? I mean, that's important stuff. Uh, Xbox One, right? Of course. Of course. Fortnite or Destiny 2, right? Fortnite, right? Everybody's Fortnite. Do you guys even know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Disney World or Universal? Of I'm not even going to answer that, okay? Because I know both. there's people that work at both here. But it's no longer, hey, let's agree to disagree. It's become, no, you're an moron. You're an idiot. You are so wrong. You couldn't be wronger because grammar doesn't matter anymore either, by the way. Um, it's, you couldn't be wronger. You know, it's like the, the big thing now is politics. I mean, talk about a, a touch point, a flashpoint. Build a wall or more border patrols. Did Russia meddle in our elections or, or, or didn't they? Is it a hoax? Should we, should we reach out to North Korea and Russia or should we keep our distance from them? Are you conservative or liberal? And I thought it'd be fun to just show of hands, conservative, liberal. All right, I'm kidding. Um, you want to split a church? Let's do that next week, okay? But I'll just tell you, both are in the room right now. And I'm telling you, dem between Democrats and Republicans right now couldn't be more vitriolic in their hatred of one another. And I've talked to both sides. I know Democrats that say, I can't believe that someone claims to be a Christian and is a Republican. I know Republicans that say, I can't believe that anyone claims to be a Christian and is a, is a Democrat. 
And I'll just be honest with you, over the last few years, we've had people leave our church because of differences over political issues with other people in the church. That's how divisive politics has been. And at this moment in time where it's more divisive than ever, when you go inside the church to where people are supposed to all get along and all supposed to love each other, what do you find? What do you find when you get inside the church? You find that from a very early age, even though Jesus calls us to unity, our propensity for divisiveness has worked its way for centuries, even into the church. It's the night before Jesus is crucified. Knowing the adversity that lies ahead, Jesus gathers his closest followers and prays with them. He also prays for the future of his church. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Paul, in his letter to the church in Corinth says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. If this was Jesus' prayer in a letter written from Paul, pleading the church to be unified, then how come to date, according to some experts, there are close to 33,000 denominations? Whew. Of course, there are the basic ones that we all heard of. Baptist, Methodist, Episcopal, Catholic, Lutheran, just to name a few. But have you heard of the Process Church of the Final Judgment? Man, that sounds like a good time. Or did you know that the Salvation Army is an actual church denomination? So what happened over the past 2,000 years that caused one church to divide into 33,000 different churches? We can't possibly cover all the reasons, but here are a few. The first organized church setting is found in the book of Acts chapter 2. Peter gives the first post-Jesus sermon, and 3,000 people were baptized and added to the church. Wow, great start. But then a little later, there was this big argument between some religious leaders with Paul and Barnabas about the Gentile converts needing to be circumcised. And, well, that was the first argument within the church. But how did we get so many different churches? Well, let's start with Catholicism. 1.3 billion followers worldwide. And looking at the start of the Catholic Church, let's start with Peter. Jesus told Peter that he would build his church on this rock, this being Peter. Peter went to Rome to assume control of the church, but then ended up being crucified upside down on the top of Vatican Mount. That is where the Vatican sits today. Peter was recognized by the Catholic Church as the very first pope. There have been 266 popes since the death of Peter. All branches of the Christian church were birthed from the Roman Catholic Church. On Saturday, July 16th, in the year 1054, Cardinal Humbert strode into a cathedral right up to the main altar and placed on it a letter that declared the Patriarch of Constantinople, Michael Sabrularius, to be excommunicated, basically saying, you are dead to me and never welcome back. Well, Cardinal Humbert then marched out of the church, shook its dust from his feet, and left the city. A week later, Sabrularius condemned the cardinal. To be honest, they both sound a little bratty. Anyway, centuries later, this dramatic incident was the beginning of the schism between the Latin and the Greek churches. This was the start of the Orthodox Church. Ever hear of John Wycliffe? No, not Wycliffe Jean of the Fugees. This Wycliffe challenged the church and its law that translating a Bible into a common language, such as English, was heresy punishable by death. Not exactly the good old days. So Wycliffe took a risk with translating the Bible and distributing them to the common folk. This was the start of the Reformation movement. 
His actions were so appalled by the church that after his death, his body was dug up, bones were burned to ashes, and then thrown into the River Swift. Does that sound like unity? Wycliffe's actions were the foreshadowing of another man, a German monk named Martin Luther. On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed a sheet of paper with his 95 theses to the University of Wittenberg's chapel door. He was not happy with the existing church. Well, this climaxed into an intense shouting match and Martin Luther was excommunicated from the Roman Catholic Church. Say hello to the Protestant Church and the Lutheran Church. Then along came John Calvin. John agreed with Martin Luther but not entirely, so let's start another church. Call it Presbyterian. It has something to do with free will versus predestination and some other things, but let's not get into those. In 1606, John Smith, a clergyman with the Church of England, was not satisfied with his infant baptism, so he decided to be rebaptized in the Don River at midnight. Say hello to the Baptist Church. Of course, the Baptist Church had some differences to iron out, closed communion versus open communion being one of them, and... Well, today there are over 200 Baptist denominations, with 43 million Baptists worldwide. King Henry VIII and the Catholic Church had a great relationship, until they didn't. So King Henry realized that he didn't have a male heir to the throne. So he requested the Pope to annul his marriage with Catherine so he could marry Anne Boleyn, the other Boleyn girl. The Pope said no. Well, King Henry got his way and then declared that the King of England would be the supreme head of the church and clergy. King Henry was excommunicated, surprise, surprise. That was the birth of the Anglican Church, or what is better known today as the Episcopal Church. Out of the Episcopal Church arose John Wesley and his brother Charles. They wanted a more methodical approach to biblical holiness, no small task. So the Methodist Church was born. So many denominations and so little time. It's turned into quite a mess. The Catholic Church with prayers to the saints and confession through a priest the Baptists who believe in once saved, always saved, while the Methodists holding firm to the belief in that you can lose your salvation. The Methodists welcoming all believers to participate in communion, while the Baptists and Presbyterians say only the baptized can partake. And speaking of baptism, the Baptists say full immersion is the only way to go, and no infant baptisms, while the Presbyterians have no problem in baptizing babies since they do the sprinkling method. So who's right? Who's wrong? Or is all of this okay as long as we all believe in this? Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins and whoso forever believes in him as Lord and Savior shall not perish but have eternal life. If you've ever wondered why there's a church on every corner, because church leaders and followers of Jesus can't get along and haven't gotten along really from, from very early on. And, you know, in one sense, this video is sad, um, sad to me, and I think it's sad uh, about people who follow Jesus because denominations are birthed out of disagreements, arguments, believing differently, different worship styles. But I think there's also a beautiful side to it um, because I believe there's so many different kinds of churches because there's so many different kinds of people. Like if you want to know what I think, I think we need all kinds of churches for all kinds of people. Some of the Catholics that I know, you should hear them talk about the traditions they do every week and how meaningful they are to them. And I'll tell you, growing up, I realized early on that my spiritual pathway was not tradition. 
Um, and that's just not the way I'm wired. But there are some, man, their spiritual pathway is worship music for some, nature for others. Some really prefer charismatic churches. Um, when I grew up, we went to all kinds of churches. I, I grew up early in the Catholic church. I did my first communion. Um, I did the altar boy, th boy thing for one Sunday. That's it. I was an altar boy one time. Um, I was bringing holy water up to the priest in front of everybody, and I was so nervous I spilled it. And he made a joke. Everybody laughed. I quit. Okay, that's how it went. It was that quick. Um, but then I bounced around with my mom to all kinds of different churches. We went to Presbyterian Church, Assemblies of God, Pentecostal, Baptist Church. We kind of ended in the Baptist Church when I was in high school. So I, I wrote it down. I grew up Presbyterian Baptist. That's what I grew up, okay? That's, that's, that's kind of who I am as a, as a, as a kid. Um, until 1991, I started going to this non-denominational church called Kensington Church in Troy, Michigan, um, that we're a network church of now. And for me, I found in that what I was looking for. And I love non-denominational church because when people ask me, what does that mean? I get to tell them, hey, it means that we teach the Bible and we follow the Bible as best we can through our teaching and the way we live our life. But here's the negative part of all these denominations. It's all the hatred. It's all the judgment. It's all the bashing. It's all the public disagreements. It's all the, all, all the verbal attacking between them. And so I want to dive into this idea of unity to shift the way we see unity from God's um, into, into what God sees unity as. And some of these thoughts are, are shared um, from a conference, the, a guy named Andy Stanley who was speaking at a conference years ago. And I want to dive into um, what the Apostle Paul and Jesus had to say about unity, especially about the church acting like, believing like, and behaving like we're on the same team. So we're going to receive our offering. So ushers, if you guys want to come on down because of the way we want to end our service, we're going to, we're going to receive the offering now. For those of you that are here for the first time, first couple times, let the basket go by. We're grateful that you're here with us today. We're not interested in your money. Um, but for those of you that call Kensington home, this is where we take the blessings that God has given to us and we give back a portion of them like he asks us to as a way of saying thank you, God, and remembering where it came from. It's a way of saying I'm all into the mission of this church and the church. And so thank you for those of you that give on a regular basis. And while we're receiving that, I want to get started with just my, th my first thought, and that's this. Once upon a time, one, one. Once upon a time, one, one. There was one faith, there was one voice, one simple version of the Christian faith, and there was so much power through one version and one vision of faith. But then we read in the New Testament, very shortly thereafter, Jews and Gentiles are, are having a hard time coming together under the same faith because the Gentiles, who are anyone that's not Jewish, started joining the Jews who have been following God their whole lives and grew up in the church. Jesus comes and says, hey, I'm for everybody. And up until that point, Jews and Gentiles were radically different. They were seen as different. They had different customs. They had different standards. They raised their kids different ways. Jews dedicated their whole life to the Torah in the Old Testament. Gentiles really had no religious history or background or traditions. They didn't have much in common, but the one thing they had in common at this point in time was one version and one vision of faith, and it was Jesus Christ. How powerful is one version and one vision? Well, Jesus was betrayed by his friends, condemned by the temple. He was persecuted by the Sanhedrin. And yet the gospel of Jesus Christ really spread like an airborne disease, right? It spread everywhere around the globe. Because everyone, regardless of 
conflict or differences focused their faith on what was most important, the story of Jesus Christ, God's son, sent by him to die on the cross to pay for your sin and mine, that whoever believes in him might be able to spend eternity with God and have everlasting life both here on earth and after we're done with our life on this earth. The unity that they had around that version and vision of faith is why you and I are sitting in a church right now. It was that that powerful then that it literally spread around the globe and is still alive today. Why is that? Because unity draws everyone always. Sorry about the grammar for you teachers, but unity draws everyone always. And I'll just say this to you, those of you that are church people, outsiders are turned off by disunity and division within the church. Turned off. It doesn't make sense to them. They're saying, if you believe what you say you believe, then why? Why the division? Why the divisiveness? Why can't you all just agree and get along with each other? Why can't you just love one another? But when there's this beautiful unity and love among all churches, outsiders are what? Drawn to that like a magnet. Like, man, I want to be a part of that. Look at the, the unity that they experience. Look at the love that's going around. I want to be a part of that. There's a book by the author Bob Goff speaking about Christians. He says, we'll not be known for our opinions. We'll be known for our love. If you want to be like Jesus, go find hurting people and love them. Find people that creep you out and love them. Find people that are way different than you and love them. I've always heard it said, you don't argue people into the kingdom of God. You love them into the kingdom of God. You're not going to argue so good with somebody that they're going to accept Jesus and go to heaven. You're going to love somebody enough that they go, whatever's going on in your life, I want a piece of that. Whatever's going on in your life, how, how, every, how you talk about other people, I don't hear anybody else in my life talking about other people without divisiveness, condemning, and undermining. But you, why is that? Why do you love me? You know, for 20-something years, I've just been preaching God's word and always have taught what would happen if we, the church, loved everybody. I mean, truly loved everybody, especially people in other churches. What would happen if we were truly living that out? In chapter 1, the belief part of Ephesians, Paul explains one of the chief reasons Jesus came in verse 10. Says he came to bring unity, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And then in the behavior portion of the letter, chapter 4, Paul speaks to us in the church. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And while Paul was challenging the church in Ephesus, this challenge is just as relevant for us in the church today. All people in all gospel-preaching, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving churches, we have one God we serve. We have one hope. It's Jesus Christ. We have one faith. It's Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus. We have one spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that is in us. Any church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have common ground with. 
And you could gather all of us from all different denominations that preach the word of God and that Jesus is Lord. He died on the cross so that you and I might be saved from our sin. And you could get all denominations that believe all kinds of different other things. But as long as that's what they're preaching, we have that in common with them. And it is the foundation of what we believe. Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he's the doorway. The only doorway to salvation and eternity in heaven. When you look at Jesus' own words, you see that he begged God for unity. Jesus begged God for unity in his prayers for you and me. And you're going to see in just a minute, Jesus, if you're a believer in him, he prayed for you. He prayed with you in his mind. And out of all the things he could have prayed for, for you and me, he could have prayed for protection, he could have prayed for health, he could have prayed for sound doctrine, he could have prayed for, for, um, for, for, for theology, our theology to be sound, he could have prayed that we were really good at arguing the faith and proving to people that they're wrong and we're right, but instead he prays for oneness. And in his prayer for us, he reveals how powerful it is if we can ever find unity with one another and between churches. John 17, verse 20, Jesus is praying. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples that are with me, but also for all who will ever believe in me. I pray for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. And I'm just going to tell you, you and I are those who will one day believe. That just, Jesus prayed for you. Just think about that. Jesus is looking ahead at what is to come. Because he's God in the flesh. And he's praying for you and he's praying for me. That we would be one. And somehow by us living in unity, if you can leave that verse up there, by us living in unity with one another and not being divided and not being angry, somehow through that unity, the world around us will believe that God actually sent Jesus. Do you see what he's saying? He says, look, through your unity, people will actually believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus goes on, I've given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Think through that. Through our unity, through our unity, the world will know that God loves them. Our unity validates the claim that God loves everybody. You ever thought about unity being that powerful? That us being unified, being one, could actually validate the truth of Scripture? in real life. That's why unity for us is mission critical. And disunity interrupts the mission. Because Jesus would say at the end of the day there's something more important than theological correctness, than proving that you're right. When we all get to heaven, I'm just telling you, when we get there, we're going to all find out that we're wrong about something, okay? It doesn't matter what denomination. I th- I, I'm going to go there. I'm going to say, God, I thought I knew what, exactly what you meant, but gosh, I, I was wrong here, and I missed this a little bit here, and I wasn't quite sure here. And it gets to the, to the place where the point is not to be right about everything. The goal is to be one and to be unified. Jesus taught us. What did he say? He said, people will know that you're Christians. They'll know that you're disciples of mine by your what? By your love. That's how people are going to know. You're going to validate your claim to love God by loving other people. 
And how do we view that as a church? And I've always heard it said, and I believe this wholeheartedly, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In essentials, unity. Jesus Christ came to this earth, died for our sins, only doorway to heaven. And in non-essentials, worship style, place you meet in. Traditions that you have, non-essentials, liberty. How do we do that with people? You love the sinner. You can hate the sin, but you love the sinner. That's why Jesus came, to show us how much he loved sinners, of which you and I, all of us are. And then you've got Romans and, and you've got Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. He's saying, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. He's saying, go as far as you possibly can, as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. And I'm telling you that this transcends inside the church and outside the church. As far as you can, as far as it depends on you, everything you can possibly do to live at peace with someone else, do it. Which is why when it comes to unity, unity begins with us. If you're a follower of Jesus, unity begins with us. Those of us in the church, Jesus prayed that we would be on the same team. Jesus prayed that we would have one another love for each other. And let me just tell you what that means. That means that we cheer for one another constantly. We cheer for other churches constantly, as well as cheering for our own church. Um, in fact, in Scripture, we have a one another list. What do we do? How do we love one another? How do we have unity? We do this. We do these things. We forgive one another. We accept one another. We care for one another. We encourage one another. We submit to one another. We restore one another. We carry one another's burdens. We bear one another's burdens. We serve one another. We pray for one another. Imagine a world where, where people did these things. Just keep that list up there. Imagine a world where people did these things. Imagine a world where the church viewed and treated other people in other churches this way. Imagine a world where people inside the church treated all people outside the church this way so that they might reach people that are seeking God, people that don't know that he loves them, don't know that he cares for them, don't know that he's got a plan for their life, that they might see our love and the way we treat one another as validation to the claims that Christ is in us, that they might go, wait a minute, I wanna hear from you about why you do what you do. Because it's so different the way you treat and love and have unity with one another. The world might start to believe. And so in the midst of an ever-increasing divisive culture, I want to take a minute and I want to talk about the church. I want to talk about how I see the church. And I'll just tell you, I love our church. I love the way we do church. But you know what I love more than our church? I love the big C church. See, we're the little C church. We're one of many churches, little C church. But what I love more is the big C church. I love the church of Jesus Christ. And what I believe about the church, I believe we need all kinds of churches for all kinds of people. What I like and what speaks to me doesn't necessarily speak to everybody as long as the gospel is taught and that Jesus and that Jesus is Lord in that church. There is no right or wrong way to do church. Some people like more worship music. Other people um, love exegetical Bible teaching. Some people are drawn to the familiarity of tra the traditional church they grew up in. 
Some people love the liturgy of the Catholic Church. I and mean, we're, we're kind of a rock and roll church. We're going to play Journey at the beginning of our services just to get the word out, bring up the topic, and have a really good time and reach people that are far from God. And we're very imperfect, okay? As long as I lead our church, we will be imperfect. We're not a perfect church. We'll never be your perfect church. And it's because I'm the leader. I'm sorry. Um, I'm really trying hard. But man, I'm just so imperfect. I can't hide all my imperfections. And, and you know what? When Jesus is on your side, why try? Because he just reveals to all of us, hey, you're not perfect, you're never going to be perfect, but when I come alongside you, the things that you, we can accomplish together is beyond anything you could ever ask or imagine. But I love that there are churches all over this area. On my way here on Sunday mornings, I drive by Discovery Church and then I drive by Harvest Bible Chapel. Let me just tell you what I pray. I've lost count of the amount of times I've prayed as I drive by those churches that God would fill every single seat at every single service they have. And that they would reach more and more people. I pray that God would blow them up in the best way possible to reach the people of this area. I pray that for other churches here. I pray for Mosaic Church and LifeBridge Church and Citrus Church and Forever Free Church. There are new church plants in this area. I pray that for Hope Church. I pray that for First Baptist Windermere, First Baptist Winter Garden, First Baptist Orlando. I pray for all the First Baptist churches, um, that God would just fill them up. I pray for real life out in Claremont. I, I, I do not see other churches as competition because we play for the same team. If you're listening to what Jesus is teaching, our mission is the same, our hope is the same, our faith is the same. It's in the same God. And if we look at other churches as competition, you know what ends up happening? They become the enemy. They become churches that we're rooting against rather than for. I want to be a church that cheers on other churches so that they might grow and surpass anything we might ever do. Why? Because the world needs strong, healthy, vibrant churches if everyone's going to find Jesus Christ. And in this area, let me just tell you, why I want to see every church full here and why we need more churches, there's two to 300,000 people within 20 minutes of here that are moving in in the next five to eight years. I don't know if you know that. Everywhere you go, there's construction. Construction crews can't keep up with the growth that's happening right here. As of right now, this moment, we do not have a church, enough churches in this area to reach the amount of people that are moving in. We can't do it. It's not possible. We're a big part of God's plan, along with every other church in West Orange County that preaches the gospel, to reach the massive growth that's coming here. And guess what? We not only need to blow up, blow, blow up our church and reach more people, we need hundreds more churches over the next five to eight years to launch, be successful, and reach people if we're going to actually meet the needs of this area and people that need to know Jesus. And unity among us, all of our churches, the big C church is what's going to lead the way. It's what's going to draw people in. Jesus prayed for us that we would be one. And that unity starts with us. And I'll just tell you, we need to be a leader as an established church in this area. We are eight years old. We need to be a leader in unifying the church and people in this area. We need to be cheerleaders of any and every church. And you just need to know that's what we need to be about. Any church that preaches and teaches the word of God and Jesus Christ crucified for those who don't know him. We're going, yeah. Be awesome. Be great. Fill up your seats. We'll send you people. I talk to people and they say, man, I just want a little bit more of this, a little bit more of this in my church service. And I'm like, there's churches like five minutes away that do exactly that. Go there. And people are like, why would you do that? Because we're one church. 
We need all kinds of churches for all kinds of people. And so I want to ask you a couple of questions to help shift our paradigm. Because we need to shift the way that we see unity in the church, between churches, and in the world. And so here's a few questions I want you to wrestle with, kind of on your own and with God over the next few moments. But the first question is this, are you willing to be at peace with everyone in order that they might meet and know Jesus Christ in your life? Are you willing, as far as it depends on you, to be at peace with everyone in order that they might meet and know Jesus? Are we, are we as a church, are we as followers of Jesus willing to prioritize oneness over our politics? And you just got to ask yourself, are you a Republican or a Democrat before you're a Christian? Or are you a Christian first and then a Republican or a Democrat? And if you want to know which one you might be, if you're a Republican, Democrat first, or Christian, how many conversations are you having about politics and what people view over how many conversations you're having about Jesus and how much he loves people? Which, what, what conversations are you having? Are you Republican or Democrat first or are you Christian first? Are you more concerned with who is in office more than who is in heaven? Are you more apt to talk to somebody about politics than you are about the, uh, what's going to happen when they take their last breath? And I know it's not, not like, hey, let's talk about politics and hey, you know if you're going to hell or not? Like that's hard to do. Like you don't just kind of launch into that. It's relationship building. But what are you more concerned about? Are we willing to prioritize oneness over our need to be right? Would you rather make a point or would you rather make a difference in somebody's life? And you just got to answer that yourself. I mean, this is on your own. Like, where are you at? I'll tell you where God's called us to be. God's called us as a church to be unified with other Christians, with people that don't believe like we believe. We're supposed to be at peace with them, to love them into the kingdom of God, not to stand on a soapbox and say you're wrong and let me tell you the 5,000 reasons why you're wrong and I'm right but just to love them so that conversations spur up so that we might become unified as they get to know the one true God. That's what we're called to be. And that's my prayer is that we would be at peace with everyone and focus our lives on making a difference for Jesus rather than making a stand for politics or making a stand for being right, that we would make a stand to love people and experience unity so powerful that the world would see that Jesus Christ loves them. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that you have called us to something that is so hard to do, and that is to be at peace with everyone. You've called us to do something that is so hard to do, and that is pursue unity at all costs, Lord. Not changing what we believe and being okay with, with, with things that are not okay to be okay with, but to lead with love. And so, Lord, I pray right now for everyone in this room, and I pray for any divisiveness they have in their life right now. I pray, God, that you would just maybe shine a light into the darkness that's there and begin to bring peace into that situation, into that relationship, into that part of their life that just continues to be defined by division. Lord, I pray for our church and the Big C Church. Lord, I pray that all the churches in this area would just see each other as teammates. That we would be unified in reaching the lost, those that don't know you, God. 
pray that the people in those churches would cheer each other on as we pursue living our lives for you, which is hard enough as it is. And God, may we reach the quarter of a million people you are bringing to our doorstep. May we be a shining light of the magnetic unity that validates your claims to not only be God, but to love every one of us. In your holy name, amen.